Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. We saw that Boaz redeemed Ruth not because the law required it, but because love had motivated him. He loved her. He desired her. And you need to know that, well, when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, there was nothing that would require him to redeem us. God gave us stories like the book of Ruth to clearly illustrate truths that are just as real for you and I as they were for Ruth. Let's listen in to Pastor Sam as he begins chapter 4 and see how, when we follow the paths that the Lord has laid out for us, we always end up in a place under His covering. Ruth chapter 4. For those of you who are with us tonight, and you haven't been with us the past few weeks, well, we're concluding this beautiful love story. This powerful prophetic picture, this practical reminder of, well, some very foundational things. Last time, as we concluded chapter three, we saw Boaz, this kinsman redeemer. He was able and willing to redeem Ruth. And if you're not familiar with the story, I encourage you later tonight, read through it. Doesn't take long. It's only four short chapters. If you're interested, CDs and tapes are available of those studies. But in any case, we saw that Boaz redeemed Ruth not because the law required it, but because love had motivated him. He loved her. He desired her. And you need to know that, well, when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, there was nothing that would require him to redeem us. No, he redeemed us because of his great love for us. And the father we know loves us as well. We're told it was the love of the father that caused him to send his only begotten son, our kinsman redeemer, to die for our sins, to suffer and shed his blood that we might be redeemed by him and to him. Practically, there's something else, though. Not only this beautiful love story, not only this prophetic picture, but this practical reminder that marriage was, is, and will always be God's institution. It's important. It's essential because, well, we live in a day and in an age where marriage is being challenged. I mean, not just changed, but the idea of marriage. Well, here's the thing. Marriage was God's plan from the very beginning and among its many blessings, companionship. It was God after creating everything. He finally creates Adam in his own image, the perfect man, the perfect representation at that point of the father. And he says for the first time as he looks at Adam, it's not good that man should be alone. And you know the story. He made Eve from Adam and made Eve for Adam. Companionship, completion. It was a second part of the puzzle. Yeah, God was completing him, although he, well, may have seemed complete without her. Certainly, once he took from Adam, he would never feel complete, completely complete without her. He was always missing something but when she was there, he got more than a rib in return. And, and in any case, he made 
Eve from and for him. And, and I do believe it's true today. It's not good for man to be alone. Man is incomplete without a wife unless, and there is an exception. The exception, well, the Apostle Paul says there are some that God has actually chosen and gifted to be single. But I'd like to suggest to you, if you don't have the gift, you don't want to try it. It truly has to be a call of God, just like the ministry or anything else we do. It's a supernatural call to, to live a single life. And certainly it's possible our Lord and Savior, well, he proved that. But he had a bride in mind and, and he lived his life on earth and died without ever having married because, well, you know, the church prophetically, the bride of Christ, this wonderful spiritual picture. Well, back to the physical, though, the natural, because it's important. Companionship, completion, and then children. And certainly, while not God's only purpose for marriage, you have to know that one primary purpose for marriage is the bringing up of godly children. Now, we all realize you don't have to be married to have children. But I don't think children will ever be as secure, ever be as stable, ever. Well, you are probably aware of the statistics. When they look at men who are in prison, over 90% of them grew up without dad at home. And if dad was around, well, he wasn't doing his job. He wasn't a role model that kid could follow and look up to and imitate. So children, listen, they're not his only purpose, but they are one of the things he purposes. Now, you need to know that he says children are a gift from him. And he declares that they're a precious trust, a sacred, sacred stewardship. And um, it's interesting, just a couple of observations, and we'll get into chapter four. I don't want to go too long in the introduction, but I did want to lay this out for you. While large families continue to be the norm in the underdeveloped parts of the world, and well, you know, people argue about why that is, I think the reason that is is because that's always what God intended. God loves kids. He loves blessing people with kids. Here in America, where we actually can afford to raise children, although, you know, it's getting more expensive, we find people marrying later and later than they did in past generations. We find people delaying having children once they're married. We find them having fewer children once they start having children. Now, I'm not passing any judgment on that. It's just an observation on what's going on in our culture at this point in history. But there will be, well, repercussions of it, ramifications. There's no way you change something that in the natural is God's plan and, and purpose and, and have it not affect everything else. Now, I do think one reason for this is, is just the idea that, well, higher education, that's the path to a fulfilled and happy and glorious life. I'm not saying education is a bad thing. I think you should get all you can and, and use all you've got. But, but again, if people put off getting married because, well, we want to get our degree first and then they put off getting, having children because, well, we want to establish ourselves financially first, what happens is, listen, if you're 20 or 25 and you got two or three kids, that's a stress. If you're 45 with two or three little kids, man, I don't know. You really want to be grandparents at that point, not the parents. 
There's some reason they call them great grandchildren because the, the more generations between you and them, the greater the experience, you see. But, but I'm all for kids. I want you to know that. And I think it's pretty obvious in our ministry. We're all for kids. You know that on our rolls of kids who come through our doors and attend on some regular basis, there are around 800 children. But last year, because this year's not over, from last year, we had 1,600 different children that came through to something we did, a VBS or some other outreach or a, a children's night. 1,600 kids that we were able, different kids, we were able to minister to and, and share the love of God with. And all I'm saying in all of this is in our generation, we consider these changes to be progress. We think we're doing better than we ever have. And yet, though we have more and we're more comfortable and we have better stuff, we're unsettled, we're unfulfilled, we're unproductive. And I think that's because, well, then the scripture says, riches will never satisfy. He who loves, and you could fill in the blank. If it's gold, you'll never get enough to be satisfied with it. If it's silver, never get enough to be satisfied with it. Children, on the other hand, you get five or six or ten kids, that'll do. And again, I want to come back to marriage in a little while because, because I believe wholeheartedly what we're seeing here on a practical level is, is not only God working supernaturally and caring for these people, but he has a plan for their family. And he has a plan for yours as well. Well, Boaz, chapter 4, verse 1, went up to the gate and sat down there. Behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. And Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came aside and sat down. And he took the ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. And he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it. And I am next after you." This is a beautiful picture that's sort of developing before our eyes. The stage has been set. Boaz, man, he loves Ruth. He wants Ruth. But there's, there's one in the way. There's one who's a nearer relative. And what I see happening in these first couple verses is man's plans and God's providence working perfectly together. You see it? Boaz went up to the gate and sat down. That's his plan. He knows the city gate is the place where, well, these kinds of deals are made. These kinds of issues are settled. It was their courthouse or the place where you would register property or make legal transactions. So, he goes there with a purpose and on purpose. Then we read the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. It sort of sounds like he just happened to be walking by the gates of the city. But as we saw early in our study of Ruth, now this is God's providence. God led these people and put them together because it was God actually making a deal. It was God purposing and planning. Now, I do love this because Boaz is moving practically. He's not just hanging at home saying, Lord, if you want this to happen, just make something happen. He's down at the gate, and no doubt he's moving purposely, and I would think prayerfully. Lord, he's not just thinking, okay, 
if it happens, it happens. But Lord, please make something happen. Well, transactions in that day, as I already shared, took place at the city gates. The 10 elders, they're going to be witnesses to all of this. The deal, whatever the outcome, would be legal and binding. So this other guy says, and we don't even have his name. Why? Well, because after this, he's completely unimportant to the story. But at this point, he's pretty important because he actually says, I will redeem it. I don't know what happened in Boaz's heart at that point. It could have been a problem, but it won't be. So let's read on. Boaz says, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative says, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. I'm wondering, and maybe you are too, was this a legitimate concern? Was this the hand of God? Was this both? Here's the deal. If this guy were already married, well, he couldn't take Ruth because that would make him a bigamist. And I know there are many who read the Old Testament and they say, well, lots of these guys had multiple wives. That's true. But there's nowhere God ever approved it or ordained it. In fact, from the very beginning, that's why we have to look at marriage and its big picture in all of this. From the beginning, we're told God made them male and female. And he said a man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And the two, not the few, his wife, not his wives. I, I know it sounds like, well, why would you have to belabor that point? Because, well, even today, there are people, even in America, who say, well, you know, it's in the Bible. Hey, murder's in the Bible. It doesn't mean God's for it. Lying's in the Bible. Adultery's in the Bible. All sorts of stuff's here. We have to be wise enough to discern, is this an example to follow or is this a warning not to get involved? But when we have clear commands from God, as we do here, so many places in Scripture. Now, the plan, one man, one woman for life. Now, I know it hasn't worked out that way for all of you. And I don't want to add condemnation to pain and suffering because I am of the opinion though I've never been divorced, and I just thank God for that. I am of opinion that divorce, man, it shreds and hurts and wounds, and only God can ever make those lives whole. But the deal is, is, is we don't ever want to act like, well, no big deal, or, or, or kind of go past it because well, we don't want to make people feel bad who've been through it. No, people who've been through it already feel bad. The goal is to find redemption and forgiveness and to have a life that God intended in the first place. There's forgiveness for any sin that he confesses. You confess that, that we confess. First John, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The only thing that keeps us from being forgiven is trying to justify or rationalize or, or blame someone else and not call sin sin. Well, in any case, there was another potential problem, not just the problem of bigamy. And we don't know if he was married already, but if he had married Ruth and had a son by Ruth and he didn't have any other sons, well, then his inheritance would be divided. And that's the very thing, the law that, that said the kinsman redeemer should marry the widow of a deceased brother. That's the very thing it was trying to avoid. 
it was the division of the land. It wanted the law tried to keep the land in the families. And we looked at this in some detail and depth last time. Well, in any case, I like this guy because he just says, I can't do it. You can do it. I, it doesn't work for me. You know, you can redeem her. So the last real obstacle was overcome. Now it's just a matter of a few legal details. Now, I do like that they have witnesses, but it doesn't appear there were any lawyers. Why? No money's exchanging hands. Um, there's no prenup. You know, it's just kind of a, a straightforward deal. A little odd as you read it. And Well, let's read it. This was the custom in former times, verse 7 in Israel, concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel. Now, this deal with the shoe, we don't do that anymore. Have you noticed that? <laughs> there was a time, even when I was young, where you could just say yes, shake hands, and it was a done deal. I remember. Men were men of their word. If somebody said they'd do it, you could, by and large, trust them to do it. And it's sad to me that things have gone so far the other direction in such a short amount of time. Because now it's, it's not just, hey, here's the shoe and it's a done deal or here's my hand and it's a done deal. But, but there's contracts and then there's contracts to back up the contracts and then there's lawsuits. And, you know, Jesus deals with all of this. And, and if you think it's, well, just a problem with the pagans, you're not paying attention. Even in the first century in the church of Corinth, they were suing each other. And Paul writes and just says, hey, that's got to stop. It just got to stop. We shouldn't be dragging one another into court before the heathen. It's unbiblical for a Christian to sue another Christian. By the way, just going back to divorce. Listen, what do they call it? You sue for divorce. Well, in any case, he says this is how they did it. They took off the shoe. Now, John Corson points out why this, you know, was happening. There were too many soulless heels in those days. And, and in any case, yeah, he's a punny guy. And he, ha, 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 if he were here. But anyway, this close relative takes off his shoe and, and, and that's how they did it. Boaz says to the elders of the people, you are witnesses this day. I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilon's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife. Now don't misunderstand. He's not buying her. And, and I talk to the skeptics and the cynics and they're like, you know, they'll they read the Bible just to find something to hate in it, you know, or something to disagree with or point out to you. No, listen, he bought the field in order to obtain the bride. It, it was it wasn't really even about the field for him. And he certainly wasn't purchasing her. Now, there's a sense in which we've been purchased, but that's because we were dead in trespasses and sin. And our Lord, when he redeemed us, and the word does mean to, to set free a slave by paying a purchase price, what he was doing was making it possible for her to be his wife, to perpetuate, it says, the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren from his position at the gate. And you, he says, are witnesses this day. Well, all the people at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. 
And the Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. The witnesses not only affirm the outcome, but they go on, and I love this, to pronounce a blessing on the couple. And there's sort of this prophetic prayer. They, they recall past blessings, and, and they mention a few people. we got to at least delve into them for a moment, because they move from that to petitioning God for future blessings. Now, Again, the focus here, it's on children, it's on the future, it's on the family, the community, the nation, the kingdom, ultimately. They mentioned first Rachel and Leah. You know, these are the moms, ultimately, of the kids who would be the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. And, um, you know, they were either moms or stepmoms to those or, you know, adopted moms to those children. And it's a little bit complex as you go back and read through the story but, but what these guys are saying is, listen, God blessed those women with these kids. And now we have 12 tribes. May God bless you two in the very same way. Fatra, it means the place of fruitfulness. So it's a, a nice prayer. May you prosper or, or a nice proclamation. May you prosper. May you be prosperous in the place of fruitfulness. Bethlehem, you should remember from our first studies, means the house of bread. Now, Perez, whom they mention, he was born to Tamar in Judah. And there's an irony here, if you're familiar at all with this story, she had been married to one of Judah's sons. And, and well, anyway, son dies and, and it's the very same law that's being applied here that, well, that Judah decides he's got this much younger son and, and uh, you know, she's going to wait and they're going to end up marrying because, well, if the brother dies and doesn't produce an offspring, then the other brother was supposed to marry her. That's what's happening here in this very story. So I kind of find it ironic because what happens is he decides he's not going to let it happen. He's not going to have his son uh, marry this gal. And there's some stuff that goes on in between that's pretty ugly too. First, first son, second son. Now we're, now we're down to this one. And so anyway, it says that may your house be like the house of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah. Now it doesn't say anything negative. It just says this is what happened. Big house, lots of offspring. By the way, these guys, all in the lineage and genealogy of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Maybe that's really why they're there. But, but anyway, here's what happens. Because he's not giving his son to her, she dresses up like a harlot. And, and because they covered themselves in those days, he comes and he actually has sex with her, produces a child by her. And then when he finds out she's pregnant, well, when he finds out his daughter-in-law is pregnant, not realizing she's actually the harlot that he'd been into. Well, she was no harlot at all. This was uh, not, not justifying it. I'm just saying it's a, a one-time horrible sin, but, but it's not like she was out there doing this for a living. No, she tricks him personally and then he, he actually says, well, this, this gal, you know, my daughter-in-law, she, she's got to die. I mean, she can't go playing the harlot. 
she was married to my, my son. And so she had taken some stuff from him in order to, you know, say, well, he didn't have payment, so just leave your staff and some stuff, and then later we'll trade it. And when they came back, they couldn't find her. They couldn't find it. So she sends the stuff back to him and says, hey, just let him know it's, it's the guy who owns this stuff. He's the dad. And when he sees it, he's like, oh, my gosh, you know, what have I done? Now, the whole thing is weird. It's bizarre. I mean, that's why I didn't read it to you. I just told it to you because we can get through it faster. But... But the bottom line, and this is really the bottom line here, is how often in Scripture have we seen and do we continue to see God overcoming the sins and the failures of His chosen people to accomplish His plans and fulfill His purposes? It's not like He was overlooking the sin. No, there is always judgment for sin. He says the way of the transgressor is hard. The only one standing in the way of Boaz and Ruth being together, that closer relative who was obligated by the law to marry Ruth, did not, freeing Boaz to do so. And love saves the day. It's always that way. The law never redeems us. It only shows us how badly we need our Savior. Join us next time for Pastor Sam's final message in the book of Ruth. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.